This is episode 111 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Winter Youth 2005. This is session one. How you doing? My name is Freddie T. That's Freddie T. Freddie with a capital T. And uh, I didn't name myself that, just in case you were wondering, which I know you probably weren't. Um, but uh, I'm named after my dad. And my middle name is Thomas, and so I got named Freddie T when I was born. Freddie T, standing for Freddie Thomas. So people would know the difference between me and my dad. Uh, this is really not a huge deal. I just want to get to know you guys. And so, uh, so I tried to I tried to shake the T because it sounds a little funny, doesn't it? Like some for a long time, people thought my last name was Teague, but they didn't get it. It's my middle initial, Freddie T, and I tried to shake the T, but when I was at home, if my mom hollered Freddie and I answered, she would say, your name's not Freddie, your name's Freddie T. So I I go to college and I try to introduce myself as, hey, I'm Freddie, and I hear my mom's echo going, your name's not Freddie, your name's Freddie T. So I'm just kind of stuck with this goofy name. And it's really interesting because I'll go and speak at things, and when I get there, everybody's like so disappointed because I'm not a big rapper. They think I'm going to like rap my sermon or something, you know, Freddie T, hey, this dude's going to be cool, but sorry, I'm not going to rap for you, uh, so I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but um, I'd love to connect with any of you guys through this, through uh, our time together, it's going to be good. Um, I really love it out west, I'm from Tennessee, isn't that funny, <laughs> beautiful, Freddie T from Tennessee, but I really love it out west, and I think it's because... The couple times I've been out here, people didn't make fun of my accent, and uh, Paul actually thinks it's kind of cool, or so he says, when I go up north, they just think I'm an idiot, and so I don't know, I hope not too much Tennessee slang comes off uh, as we're together this week, Um, and I hope you you like it, and if you don't, uh, you know, you can keep it to yourself, Um, but I'm so excited to be with you guys. I'm so excited about what God is going to do in our midst. And I just want to say this to you as we get going. If you will open up your heart to the Lord these days, there is absolutely no telling what God will do in your life. There's absolutely no telling what God will do in your life. I want to pray for us, but I want to allow God's word to guide our prayer a little bit. In Psalm 29, you don't have to turn there. In Psalm 29, David is just sitting back and he's watching this storm blow through the city. And he descri- he begins to write a song. Pretty cool. He begins to write this psalm about the storm, but he's, he's seeing this storm. And as he sees the lightning and as he feels the thunder, it reminds him of the voice of God. Isn't that amazing? This, this rushing storm through the city reminds David of the voice of God, the very voice that God used to speak the world into being. That's a sobering thought for us tonight, just as we begin to open up his word, that the same voice that spoke the world into being will speak to us. He will speak to us with that powerful voice. Listen to how David describes God's voice. Paul's going to come and lead us in a chorus after we pray, but here's the burden of my heart is we desperately need to hear God speak. Listen to this. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And here he begins to describe this storm like the voice of God. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. Maybe you rolled into winter youth desperately needing to hear from God. I just want you to know me coming to preach to you God's word, me coming to be God's mouthpiece for us this this week, I desperately need to hear from God. Some of you, you need God to speak into your heart like thunder and to just shake your life up and to get your attention. Some of you need God to speak so so straight into your heart, it's like lightning and to light you on fire. And some of you need to hear God speak like a healing rain. I just want us to bow our hearts together and pray together, if you would. Just pray with me. I want us to unite our hearts together and say, God, please come and speak to us. So would you bow your hearts and pray with me? Just go before the Father with me in this moment. Holy Father, We need you. We need to hear your voice. We need to hear your voice that is full of majesty. Engage us, O God. Come like a mighty storm tonight, even come. Don't hold back, O Lord. Come now. Come like a mighty tornado in this place. With your Holy Spirit, we beg of you to come, God. Come and shake us, God, with your voice. Come and light our hearts on fire, God, with your voice, we pray. God, come and speak your healing into our lives. Father, we are desperate for you. We pray, come, Holy Spirit. Holy Father, nothing good will happen in winter youth unless you come. We confess you're here. We know you are with us, but we long for you to make your power known. We long to hear your intimate voice shake the depths of who we are. We invite you to come, oh God. This is nothing unless you come in power. We're desperate for your power, oh God. Come and speak. Let your voice be clear. Come, O God, we pray. As we sing and welcome Him into this place, sing it as a prayer. Just as your friend, I just want to say to you, you don't know how bad you need God to speak to you. And so as Paul leads us, you sing this as a prayer. With that in your mind, God, I don't even know how bad I need you to speak to me. But I pray you'd speak. I pray you'd speak. Holy, 
Psalm 24. I was in Memphis, Tennessee several years ago. And it was one of those small retreats where a small group Bible study was going on. And I would have a one-on-one with each of the students. And I was having this one-on-one with this high school gal. And she said to me, she said, you know, you're, you're finding Psalm 24 in your Bible. That's not what she said, but that's where you're finding in your Bible. She said, you know, I think that I've come to that place where I realize what God's perfect plan for me is. She, she went on and said, you know how everybody has that, 
that one specific purpose for their life. She said with big eyes, she said, I think I know what mine is. I didn't let her tell me what she thought it was because I knew that she was thinking it was some kind of vocation. I knew that she was wrapped up hard, praying hard, thinking, God, what do you want me to do? Thinking I've got a a vocation in mind as my purpose for life. And so I didn't even let her tell me, but I turned to Isaiah 43, verse 7. And I said, "Before, before you tell me what your purpose for life is, let me show you what God says your purpose for life is. And that's a real familiar verse to a lot of us, but it says, everyone whom I created for my glory, everyone who I've called by my name, who I have created for my glory, just a tiny little snapshot in the whole big picture of God, as clear as it can get, God created you and God created me for one purpose and it's not hidden. It's not difficult to find. It's not a vocation per se, but he has created us for his glory to reflect his glory in essence to be a worshiper of God. So this is beautiful. First line of the message tonight, you may not have not come into winter youth knowing what your purpose for life was, but you don't have to look any longer. God's purpose for you in his word, he says, I have created you for the purpose that you would be a worshiper. On the plane over here, we were watching, we were watching uh, Sports Center, ESPN, the Sports Century kind of moment, one of those deals, and Peyton Manning was on there. And, uh, you know, you might be a fan, I don't know, but he got to the end. Peyton's a great guy, but he got to the end. And, and I mean, this dude's like hit the climax of a great football career. Some say he's the best quarterback in the NFL. I'm not going to debate that tonight. But anyways, this guy is great. He's, he started charities, things like that. But he said the comment, I do not know what my purpose in life is. I mean, this is a guy who has lived out his life. He has hit the best that he could hit in vocation, probably thinking somehow maybe this is going to fulfill me. This is going to resound in my heart as this is what God's created me for. But this guy, as a grown man living out his life, it says, I have not figured out. I don't know exactly what my purpose is, but here's the deal. It's not so much important that you get on the nose what God's vocation for you is. What's important is that it lands in our heart like a ton of bricks tonight that God created you and me to worship him. Well, that's good news, but there's some bad news too. In Psalm 24, where we're looking tonight, there's this looming question. There's this looming question. In verse three, it says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? It's not a question like who wants to, but it's like a question saying who can as if everyone who just wants to go jumping into the presence of God can't. It's like everyone who just wants to go dashing up to this hill where God lives can't go running up the hill. And so for the very purpose that you and I were created, there's this looming question that we find in Psalm 24. We were created for this purpose, but who can even approach him? Who can even draw near to him? The context of this psalm is David is writing this psalm most likely when they are bringing the ark of God, which represented the presence of God. They're bringing the ark of God back into the city of God. 
And so I just wonder if David had in mind this thing that went down that I don't know if you've heard of, but they're rolling the ark, the presence of God, this boxed-in, sacred, holy representation of the presence of God. They're rolling it on carts, not the way God had told them to roll it, but they're rolling it in on carts, wanting to get it back to the city of God. So it's like their hearts were right. It was like that they had come and they were wanting to worship But the cart hits like a rock or something. It begins to stumble. It begins to fall off. And this guy named Uzzah sticks his hand out to catch it. Now, I'm thinking, that's a pretty good intention, it seems like, doesn't it? The guy sticks his hand out to guard the presence of God. The guy sticks his hand out so the presence of God doesn't fall in the dust, right? I mean, the guy sticks his hand out to catch what is sacred. And God strikes him dead on the spot. Because God had told them how to handle the ark. God had given them specific instructions on how to deal with his presence. And Uzzah sticks his hand out and he is not handling it the right way. They're rolling this sucker on an ark when God had told them to put it on these these rings, on, on these poles with rings. Uzzah, he's dead. Why? Because he did not approach God. And he did not handle the presence of God the way God had set up the way God had said, this is the way I'm to be handled. This is the way I'm to be revered. Doesn't that just blow your mind? This guy, probably with a good intention, wanting to treat what's sacred, sacred, yet he missed the details of what God had said. And so David writes this psalm in this context of of their bringing the ark into the city of God. And he writes this question in verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy place? I just wonder if he was thinking about Uzzah. He didn't stand. He was dead immediately. What about us? What about us standing in the presence of God? Was God overreacting there? Let's look in verse 1. What we're going to see is that God was not overreacting. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Verse 2, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What we see here is God has created everything. God owns everything. He is the owner of everything. Verse 2, because he has created it all. God owns all your shoes, ladies. The whole wardrobe, all your CDs, guys, all your MP3s that you can't really see, they're invisible, they're loaded on there, they're somewhere floating around, God owns them. He owns it all. But here's what's really wild is he owns everything in the earth. That's you and that's me. And he owns these things, including us, because he has created us. Have you ever built a sandcastle on the beach? I love building sandcastles on the beach. It's great. What I really love is when I build a sandcastle and I just decide I'm done with that sandcastle and I just go stomping through it. You know what that sandcastle cannot do and has never done? It's never like jumped up and said, "Why, why are you doing that? You cannot do this to me. No, why? Because it, the sandcastle was my deal. I called the shots about what went on the sandcastle. That's the way we are with God. We are his possession. He owns 
us. And we haven't come to that reality. But he owns us. I love this picture, though, that God has created everything in the earth. He's founded upon the waters, founded upon the seas. Uh, have you ever watched uh, the Weather Channel? Um, I, don't, it's not, I don't watch it a lot. But my wife and I, we were watching, we were, it was late one night, we were watching the Weather Channel, and Storm Stories came on. Anybody ever seen Storm Stories? I've got to be more than six people in the building that have seen Storm Stories. All right, we got about 12. Beautiful. Just to fill you in on what Storm Stories are, they are these wild stories about these storms. I'm sure you were wondering that. But these wild stories of these storms and people who kind of get lost in the storms. And so this one crazy guy goes kayaking off Hawaii. And so maybe you've seen this one. I don't know. But he goes kayaking off Hawaii and he gets further and further and further out to where he cannot get back. The sun is going down. Dude is lost out to sea, and a big storm comes up. He's out to sea all night long, and the storm carries him 40 miles out on the ocean. Can you imagine if you're in your little kayak, and you're just going for a little cruise, and you get 40 miles out, and the ocean is powerful. Well, he's, he's waving. He's trying to, you know, he's trying. He cuts himself. That's real good. You, you cut yourself so that sharks can smell your blood when you're out lost on the ocean in your kayak. He did that. Anyways, the next night, nobody finds him. He goes 40 more miles out. They know that because they eventually found him. And dude was 80 miles off the shore of Hawaii. What's the big deal about that? He was at the mercy of these waves that God has created He could not do anything about it. He was just sitting in his little kayak and he had his paddles and he had his arms and he could paddle as hard as he could. But those waves carried him in two days, 80 miles off into the shark-infested seas. It blows my mind. My wife teaches science and she was telling me the other day that of, of the oceans, I don't know if I'll get this quite right, But of the oceans, 1% of 1%. Is that right? Is that about right? 1% of 1% of the oceans have actually been explored by man. And that's like, like nines with a bunch of decimal points have not been explored by man. Does that not blow you away? God has created these oceans that are so vast that all of us putting all of our power together, putting all of our brain power together, putting all of our technology power together that we have, we have only explored a tiny little bit of this massive amount of water. I'm not trying to scare you out of the ocean. I'm not trying to give you like a panic attack next time you go to the beach. But doesn't that just blow you away? What in the world is lurking under? 99.9% maybe has never been explored by man. But guys, that, listen, that is only the creation. That's only the creation. If we have trouble exploring the creation, what about the creator? What do we what can we know about the creator? How vast is he? How large is he? He created this thing called the pistol star. You ever heard of that? You guys are just sleeping through science class, aren't you? 
This pistol star thing that's just floating around in our galaxy out there, it burns with the energy of 10 million suns. Suns. The sun that you and I have to put like loads of sunscreen on so we don't turn into lobster. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you ever been on the, on the trip where the dude used his sunscreen the night before on the dude who fell asleep first and just caked him with it? And so for the rest of the camp, he's walking around having to get piggyback rides because his feet are just toasted. He's, all he had on was, you know, all he's got is sandals, and so his feet are just lobsters. Well, that's just hanging out under the sun three hours, no sunscreen. There is a star kicking around in our galaxy that is burning with the energy of 10 million suns. Well, how in the world are you and I not just ash right now? Just a big room of ash. I mean, if the sun that we suntan under, if that toasts us into Lobster Boy without sunscreen, how does the pistol star not toast every one of us right now? Well, it's light years away. Light years away. And God spoke that star into being, that single star, as well as all the rest of the stars. He knows them by name. He spoke it into being, and it didn't burn his lips. The pistol star is just a tiny bit of the creation. And that's just the creation, not the creator. What does it mean that we have this creator? I think every one of us would probably argue till we're blue in the face. Creation over evolution. Now, some of you have gone to bat for that in your classes at school, but when's the last time you argued for the Creator's rights over your life? Yeah, we'll argue for evolution, but saying this Creator has rights over my life, I am His possession, I answer to Him. Well, whether we acknowledge that or not, that is true, guys. We will answer to our Creator. We will give an account to Him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The fullness thereof. He has established it upon the waters. He has established it upon the seas. God has called us to worship Him. That's the most loving thing He could have done for us. I want you to know that. If you're taking notes, you just need to jot that one down, stick it in your pocket, put it on your wall, write it on your, write it on your mirror with a dry erase marker. The most loving thing God will ever do is offer us the opportunity to worship Him. That's the most loving thing God will ever do for us. But in verse 3, we hit the dilemma. We hit this looming question that's kind of like barricades. We hit this question that says, but who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who can stand in His holy place? Why is the place of God called holy? The place of God, God's presence is called holy because He Himself is holy. David asked the question, who can ascend into the presence of God? Who can stand in, in His holy place? You guys may know the story of Isaiah over in Isaiah chapter 6 when he gets this vision of God. Isaiah gets this great vision of God. I'll just read it to you. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so Isaiah sees this and he's not saying, man, we got to get this on video. He's not saying, man, get me my phone so I can get a, a shot of that, you know, so I can send to my buddy. This is an amazing picture here. Kodak moment. Somebody get a shot of this. No, he says this. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And here it is. And I said, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We treat the presence of God so flippantly. We approach worshiping God as though we call the shots. We approach the worship of God with no fear in our heart. We sweep these stories of Uzzah and these ideas of Isaiah just kind of under the rugs. And as we come storming into a place, we're distracted by everything. We don't prepare on Saturday night for Sunday morning. Worship has a tiny little priority in our lives because God has a tiny little priority in our lives because we are clueless about His holiness. Isaiah cried, woe is me, I am ruined. He wasn't crying, man, that's cool. He wasn't crying, man, my God is a teddy bear. No, he was saying, oh my goodness, this is bad news. And David says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? Who shall stand? Uzzah couldn't stand. Isaiah did not stand. It blows me away as I sit in churches and our worship services are characterized by standing, sitting, standing, sitting, standing, sitting, gone. But when I read the Bible, people are falling on their faces before God. People are crying things like Isaiah, woe is me, I am ruined. I've seen the king, I've come face to face. I've gotten a vision of who God is. I'm ruined. I cannot handle it. In 1987, my family got to go to our first Major League Baseball game. It was pretty cool because we were staying in the same hotel as some of the baseball players. And I just want to let you know, we were watching the Cardinals play the Mets. I don't know if there's any Cardinal fans in here. I don't know if there's any Mets fans in here. Beautiful. Uh, But my favorite player, and I don't recommend this, was Daryl Strawberry. He shortly became crack addict. So he was my hero. I knew everything about this dude. I went to sleep looking at a big poster of Daryl Strawberry. I literally had a Daryl Strawberry Christmas tree ornament. I'm serious. I knew everything there was to know about Daryl Eugene Strawberry, including his son's name, Daryl Eugene Strawberry Jr., and his number when he played for the Mets was 1844 when he played for the Dodgers. He was with the Giants for a little while. I could tell you everything you wanted to know about Daryl Strawberry, his home runs every single year, his RBIs. You can ask somebody later what that means. Uh, I, I knew everything there was to know about this guy. I could model his swing for you. I mean, I could, I could look like him if I tried really, really, really hard. But here was the beautiful part. Daryl Strawberry was in the building staying in the same hotel. Well, the maids give us Daryl Strawberry's room number. They probably could have got fired for that. It was cool. So we go up to the 36th floor, like the floor you're not supposed to go up to unless you're staying on it, right? So we go up to the 36th floor to connect with Daryl Strawberry, right? 
I know everything there is to know about the dude on this floor. When we go up there, it's my mom, my dad, my two sisters, and we come to the door that says, do not disturb on it, hanging on the door. Will we not? And here I was. I was standing there. I knew everything there was to know about this guy. Did I tell you about that? I had my stack of Daryl Strawberry baseball cards. I was ready to get him to sign every one of them. I'd watch this guy on TV. I could just tell you anything you wanted to know about Daryl Eugene Strawberry. He grew up in L.A. hanging out with Eric Davis, who played for the Dodgers some, played for the Reds some. Yeah, that's not a big deal. But he was standing on the other side of the door. And we knock, and he begins to unlatch the door, and my cards just go everywhere. And so I'm down on my knees when like six foot 14 Daryl Strawberry comes out the door. He signed the cards and it was cool. But that's just a tiny little picture of me knowing a lot about this guy. But when it came time for me to see him face to face, I couldn't handle it. And maybe you came rolling into winter youth this weekend thinking you knew a whole lot about God. But the way you approach him communicates what you know. How you prepare yourself for corporate gatherings of worship communicates clearly what you know about the holiness of God. And maybe you could whip me in Bible drill. I bet about half the building could. Let me get our swords up here ready. Go. You'd just kill me. You'd you'd rock me. But my greatest encounter with the Lord wasn't singing a song. It wasn't in a... in a big prayer gathering, it was with my face looking down, seeing these words and being blown away by the holiness of God. David said, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And I want to invite you to look with me in Psalm 24. It is beginning to answer this. He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to what is false. Clean hands, a pure heart, and who has not worshipped other idols. It doesn't have to be a carved idol, but it just has to be anything in your life that you're giving more energy to, more affection to than God. God calls the shots on how we worship Him because He is the unique Creator. There is no other Creator. He is the only Creator. We reflect Him by doing awesome stuff like Scott's doing back here. He's just painting this beautiful creation for us. We see the creativity of God oozing out of Him. But there is only one Creator. He is unique. When I was collecting baseball cards when I was growing up, what made baseball cards so valuable was the fact that they were rare. And so if you had like an old Mickey Mantle card, it was beautiful because that thing, so many of them had been burned up. So many of them had gotten, you know, trashed. They were gone. They, they were so rare that those little, that little piece of cardboard was worth thousands and thousands of dollars. There's only one creator. And there is no one like him. And he is holy. He is different than we are. He is unique. He is perfect in all of His majesty. 
He is infinite in his wisdom and in his brilliance and no professor on any campus can compare to him. NASA is a playground for our God. He is unbelievably, infinitely valuable because he is the only creator. He is the only holy God and he is the one that you and I have come and gathered to worship. He is the one that we have given our life over to. But who can even draw near to him, David says? Who can even draw up to him? He killed Uzzah. Isaiah cried, woe is me when he sees God. What are you saying tonight? When you draw near to him with your song, when you bring your heart to God, what is your confession? Who can draw near this holy to this holy God? Who can stand near God? That's what worship is all about. It's about connecting intimately with God. But who can do that? Only those who have a clean hands and only those with a clean heart. Did you roll in here with a clean, clean hands this week? Has your heart been pure? How are you going to get your heart pure? Will you chew on that? Friends in the back, friends in the front, friends in this building, how are you going to get your hands clean? How are you going to get your heart pure? Because David answers the question, who can come near God? Who can stand in his holy place? Only those with a clean, clean hands, pure heart. And who does not worship any other idols? God says, you worship me and me only. There are no other gods but me. I will compete with no one. And you can only approach me on my terms. That's what he tells us tonight. That's what he tells us tonight for this conference. That's what he tells us tonight for the rest of our lives. We only engage with God on his terms. He is the creator. He calls the shots. We answer to him. And oh, in his mercy, I pray he would spare us of approaching him flippantly. That he would land on us this week the majesty of his holiness. It would land in our hearts that we can't flippantly come running into the presence of God. And those who have unclean hands and those who have impure hearts should fear deeply. How are you going to get your heart pure? Has there been any idols in your life? God says the one that can come close is the one whose hands are clean, whose heart is pure, and who's only worshiping me. Me. Tomorrow morning, what we're going to look at is that there is only one way that man can have his heart cleansed. There's only one way that we can have our hands cleansed. There is only one way that Christ, the living Lord, can become our only one God. And that's through seeing Jesus, receiving Christ, having the living Lord Jesus Christ to wash us clean and to lay upon us the declaration 
of righteousness. So tomorrow morning we're going to look at rescue, but I just want you to chew on that tonight. I just want you to chew on that. That when people, even with right motives, have not approached God and handled His presence rightly, terrible things have happened. I'm going to ask Paul to come and we're going to continue to worship, but we're going to sing with that in mind and with that in our heart. Many of you came in this weekend with your idea of who God was. And I just want to challenge you this weekend. Allow the Spirit of God to open your eyes so that you have a greater, more true and accurate view of who He is so that your worship can become pure, so that your worship can become acceptable to God, so that you and I could fulfill the very purpose we are created for, the worship of the living Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of of His glory. Have you seen King? How are you going to get your heart pure? Chris Rice once said, he says, I talk to students all the time. And he says, I have students tell me that the same feeling that they have on Wednesday night worship at church is the same feeling that they have at a Smashing Pumpkins concert. I don't know if that's true for you or not, But David says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who can really connect with God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's my prayer that God would spare us this weekend from experiencing anything but Him. It's easy to experience just the presence of like the atmosphere of worship, you know? Everybody's singing and we just get this really rich feeling. You can get that at at a concert. What we desire to do is to connect with God. What we desire to do is to draw intimately up and connect with Him. But we can only do it. We can only do it the way He says we can do it. So I invite you just to pray with me as we think about these things. Father God, we're humbled at who You are. Father, I pray You would give us a great vision for who You are. Father, I pray that you would leave us astounded at your mighty power. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would cause your heaviness, your holiness to rest upon us. Allow your weight to fall on us, we pray. Come and help us to deal with you. Help us to think about these things. In Jesus' name I pray.